Matthew chapter 5. We just have two verses this morning, uh, 31 and 32. So I'm going to read Jesus' words, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31. Here's what Jesus says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Our Father, we come to you, and we are grateful for who you are as God. We're grateful for your love for your people the way you have imaged that love in the picture of marriage, the way that we will remember that love even this morning around the communion table as we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us. Lord, we thank you for these relationships that you choose to put some of your people into called marriage, and we pray that we would think carefully about it this morning and the high value that you place upon it. We pray that you would give grace to those who here this morning give Give grace to my words that I would uh, um, speak truth, but with love, uh, that we would have a, that your spirit would do a work to take these words and apply them to our hearts. We know that it is not my words that impact hearts, but you and your spirit that uses your word to change lives. And so that's what we ask and pray for this morning. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning is February 9th, and so to those of you who are astute and paying attention to the calendar, I'm going to speak for a moment to the men who are in romantic relationships. T-minus five days, guys. Five days, and uh, we'll be at Valentine's Day. So we're going to think about uh, marriage this morning, and I want us to think about what is God's purpose and intention, and uh, it, it's going to help us understand what Jesus is trying to teach his people about righteousness. So we start with some questions about marriage, first of all, and I just want to kind of think about this together. Let's think for a second, because if we don't understand this, then Jesus' words won't make sense. But let's just start with the whole concept of marriage. Whose idea is it? Was it? Where does marriage come from, if we think about that together for a moment? Because if we don't understand that, then we're going to come to wrong conclusions on all kinds of answers regarding marriage. Uh, this morning, Jesus has words particularly for what happens when a, a, a marriage breaks apart or when there's divorce. And yet, if we don't understand what the concept of marriage is and where it comes from, we're not going to understand all kinds of fundamental questions about who, who's allowed to get married, who can enter this relationship of marriage. Marriage. What, what expectations are there? What does it take to get out when our marriage is allowed to happen? Is, is this just a social construct of the day? Especially as we think about Valentine's Day coming up in just five days and think about this. Is marriage just something that mankind has come up with because we think it leads to human fulfillment and happiness? And just somewhere along the way, we thought, you know what would be great is if two people live together and we can give them some legal tax benefits and there will be other incentives and uh, th th this will lead to the furtherance of mankind and there will be offspring produced and there will be stable families. And should, should marriage just be something that we consider that that people fall into when they fall in love? Is that one way we should think about it? And certainly, even as the church, as Christians, if we're not careful, we will adopt some, some of that thinking that, well, marriage is just two people fall in love, boy meets girl, they enter marriage, 
and hopefully, if they find the right person, happily ever after, right? Well, what happens when it's not happily ever after? Well, what, what happens when, when, when the two people who fell in love begins to fall out of love? Does this mean that you chose the wrong person? Is this the way that we should think about marriage? Is marriage just something that we, we choose to enter? Is it a relationship that for the mutual benefit, as long as it leads to happiness, we stick in as long as we are in love? And then if that breaks down, perhaps we just come to the conclusion that the two people weren't compatible. They weren't meant for each other. They, 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 they simply just no longer should stay married together. Well, I love the way that a man named Paul Tripp talks about marriage. Can I give you a little insight on compatibility if you're wondering whether or not you have married the right person? If you right now are in a relationship, a married relationship, and you're wondering whether or not the person you're sitting next to is your compatible partner that God meant for all of life and you found the truly happy one, the way, the way that Paul Tripp talks about this, uh, he, I hate to burst your bubble, but uh, you are a sinner who married the sinner. I know that that's hard to believe, but the person sitting next to you, your spouse, is a sinner, and that is a recipe for disaster. There are no two compatible people. When you take one sinner and put them together with another sinner under the same roof and try to have a relationship... Uh, so, we've got to come up with a different definition of marriage than just compatibility, happy ever after, to people that choose to get to married for whatever benefit. Let me go ahead and tip my hat and tell you where I believe this whole concept of marriage comes from. In fact, it's not just what I believe, it's the historic Christian teaching throughout the centuries that Christians believe, Scripture teaches us, that marriage was God's idea. In, in the book of Genesis, in the garden, God puts Adam and Eve together, and he says, the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. That there's a, a special union that comes through the marriage relationship that, that speaks to the value and the sanctity of marriage. In fact, it's not just in Genesis. I've got some verses for you on the screen. We're going to look at the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. This is the end of the Old Testament. And here, God's people are questioning. They're wondering, why has God judged them? Why have they fallen out of God's favor? And he's going to help them to understand why God is judging them and why certain things are taking place, why certain consequences are fleshing them out in their lives. And they want to know, why is God not blessing us? And here's what God has to say. But you say, why does he not? Why does he not bless us? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. In part, part of what was taking place was, was this disregard for the marriage relationship. And Malachi is letting the people know it's not just husband and wife in that covenant marriage relationship. It's husband, wife, and God together. There's a special union. There's a special commitment that takes place within the covenant relationship. It was his idea. That's why marriage becomes so significant. If it was God's idea and he's in charge of it and he sets the rules for who can get married, married. He also dictates then what happens when marriages break apart and why it's, such a, what's, why it's such an important issue. In the book of Matthew, the verses that I just read, in Jesus' day, marriage had fallen into disrepair, at least as bad as our day, if not ours, if not worse. And, and so Jesus speaks into the culture of marriage and he tries to help them understand what, what was marriage about and what what importance does God place upon it? And so we want to walk through it and understand that marriage is God's. It comes from him. It's his idea. He gets to address how it works. And we as his people and his followers want to understand him 
in it. Now, before I go any further, let me just acknowledge that this is a very, very difficult topic uh, for, for many of you to hear a sermon on. It's a very difficult topic for me to preach on. If I was uncomfortable last week, this week is probably worse because, because there's, there, we would be hard-pressed to find a family in this room that is, doesn't have some level of connection to a marriage that has broken apart. We, divorce has come very, very close, perhaps in the family with extended family members, perhaps parents, perhaps children, perhaps you yourself, uh, and, and I recognize that. And I, I want to say and, and try to encourage you this morning that, that we want to be very careful as a church how we talk at this because we recognize that, that, that marriages don't always, for all of our best human intentions, don't work out as we intended. Many of you wish that you had not uh, been so close to whatever marriage it was that broke apart, whether it's your own or someone around you. And so we want to realize that God, there, there is grace and love from God this morning. He has hope for you in whatever situation that you uh, find yourself in. And we don't, um, it's difficult as Christians, we want to think very carefully about what Jesus teaches his followers, right? And so on the one hand, he lifts the value of marriage very, very high. And so we as his followers, and as a church, and I as a pastor this morning, I, I want to try to lift marriage high. Uh, because Jesus seems to place a high level of importance on it. And so we, we need to do that while also recognizing that, that sometimes in our efforts to lift marriage high, it causes those who have personally been through divorce or who have lived so close to it, there's all kinds of pain and regret that understandably come back. And perhaps it can make you feel as if you are now a second-class Christian if you have been through divorce or that now you wear a scarlet letter or somehow uh, that this is the unforgivable sin. And so in no way do I want to, while, while trying to lift marriage high, I don't want to communicate that impression that there isn't grace for those who have lived through experiences other than the ideal that Jesus lives high in this passage. Um, don't think this morning, when it comes to this topic of divorce, and certainly when Jesus is talking about divorces, there's all kinds of questions in Christians' minds about, well, what about divorce and remarriage? What happens when there has been a divorce, and is, is the Christian now allowed to get remarried? Is the, is the divorce even allowed to happen? There's all kinds of questions surrounding that issue that I'm not going to wade into those waters this morning. Don't think that you're going to hear my personal opinion on divorce and remarriage this morning. The reason I'm not going to go there is because Jesus isn't trying to go there in these two verses. There are other passages of Scripture that, that have to be walked through to flesh out some of those answers, but Jesus wasn't trying to answer every question that comes up in your and my mind about divorce and remarriage. He was trying to speak into the day and lift the ideal of marriage high, and so that's what we're going to try to do this morning, and it might leave you with some questions, and I just want you to know that I'm not going to try to answer all of those this morning. Um, it can become difficult for a church even just to think about in those questions of divorce and remarriage. At times, churches are left too heavily to the opinion of whoever the lead pastor is, who's ever doing the preaching. Well, these, these uh, marriages... Uh, um, then now we have to make decisions as a church based on what the opinion of the one person is. I think it's healthier for a church because there can be turnover in that position. I think it's healthier for a church to think through some of these issues. And the elders together would take the lead in saying these are what co our covenant commitments are as a church as to when this is allowed and isn't allowed and those kinds of issues. And that way all of us can set aside personal opinions for covenant commitments 
I'm just letting you know that works well with elders. I'm saying that's not what we're going to try to get into this morning. I'm not trying to get into what those covenant commitments should be because Jesus doesn't go there in the passage this morning. And so we're going to try to see what is Jesus saying about lifting, uh, lifting high the value and ideal of marriage. So let's try to walk through the text and understand why does Jesus make this statement? What, what's he saying about why marriage is so important for us as a people? So if we come to Matthew and here's what Jesus has to say in verse 31. He continues this phrase where he says, it, you have heard it said, or it was also said, or you've heard it said of old. And then he has some understanding to help them understand what, what they need to know. In verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Here, Jesus is going to go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24. And in the first four verses, there's some explanation on a specific scenario of what happens if a divorce takes place. Here's the first verse in Deuteronomy 24. I'm not going to walk through all of it, but here's, here's what Jesus says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. Now, he's going to go on and continue then and give more explanation about some of uh, how this scenario needs to work it out because there's more at play. But this is where the certificate of divorce comes from. Moses, in desiring to protect uh, people so that those who were divorced, he, he, he instructed that when a divorce took place, there needed to be a certificate. That certificate then would allow, in that culture, the man would have been in charge of the divorce. He would have been the one to initiate. The wife would not have been, had a means to provide for herself unless she had the certificate, which freed her and showed that she was legally allowed to get remarried. And so Moses was making provision to, to ensure that that was taking place. Well, this is when Jesus says, because of that phrase then, he says, you have, heard it said, uh, you have heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now Jesus steps in in verse 32 and he says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now Jesus has some correction to give in light of how they would have understood teaching in their day how they would have understood the rules surrounding this topic. And, and he needs, they, they've misinterpreted some things, and he wants to help them understand that, that, listen, divorce should not happen easily. It should not happen lightly. And when it does, when divorce happens outside of the rules for, for God's bounds, adultery takes place. Keep in mind, these two verses are right on the heels of the four verses we walked through last week. Remember what the point of last week was. Adultery is very, very significant and important in God's eyes. It should not happen. Jesus says, listen, adultery happens even when a man lustfully looks after another woman. When, when sexual immorality takes place just in the thoughts and intents of the hearts, adultery has happened. In the same way, here's another illustration of it. Jesus says, when divorce happens outside of God's bounds, then, then that's going to make it such that if the woman remarries, again, in Jesus' day, especially for the Jewish society, things were just beginning to turn in the Roman culture at large, but certainly in Jesus, in, for, for Jewish Palestine uh, society, the man would have largely still been in control of divorce and therefore the woman would have had again to remarry to provide for herself. And Jesus is saying when, when divorce happens outside of God's bounds, again, adultery now takes place because there's a commitment, a covenant that was still in force that the, adult, that the certificate of divorce doesn't break and therefore now this new union breaks that covenant in an adulterous sense. So why is Jesus saying that? 
What, what is going on behind the scenes that causes Jesus to have to step in and address some of these scenarios? And why then does he give the exception that unless it happens for sexual immorality? Let's try to understand some of these issues of what was taking place in Jesus' day. If you turn to Matthew 19, if you flip over just a few pages, same book, Matthew 19. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's on page 824. Matthew chapter 19. This will show you the context of what Jesus was speaking into. Because in that day, what Jesus was addressing, there there was a big debate between the Pharisees uh, on what constituted, uh, what was grounds for divorce. In Matthew 20, in Deuteronomy 24, the verse that we looked at on the screen, the, the verse, there's the phrase there where Jesus, where Jesus says, uh, where Deuteronomy said that if he finds some indecency in her, let him write a certificate. Of, well, what was that indecency? What offense did the, did the issue have to rise to in order for there to be grounds for divorce. And so the Pharisees would debate that in and among themselves, and there were two different schools of thought. In verse 3 of Matthew 19, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You, that, that's, what, that's what the common debate inside the Pharisees among themselves. Listen, can we just for any reason that we want, is divorce allowable? Is there grounds for that? And Uh, Jesus answered them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, among the Pharisees, there were two debates, two different schools of thought as they contradicted one another. There was the school of Shammai and there was the school of Hillel. By the way, one of the reasons that Jesus keeps saying, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. The reason he's placing the, he's claiming his own right to teach, it's, it contradicts the way that they themselves understood teaching in the day. The rabbis would teach on the grounds of rabbi so-and-so. Rabbi so-and-so says, rabbi so-and-so says, and so sh- the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel would have been two very prominent authorities. And they, Well, this is, what, this is what Rabbi Shammai says. This is what Rabbi Hillel says. And they would have writings that they could go back But Jesus steps in and says, but I myself say unto you, he's claiming his own authoritative teaching. So the school of Shammai was a very conservative school. They were very, very strict in what the indecency said. Both schools understood that adultery or immorality in that flagrant sense would break the the bounds of of the marriage covenant. And so both recognized that. There was no debate there. But the school of Shammai was so strict to say that's all it was. You couldn't get out for other reasons. And yet, even the school of Shammai, in their strictness, they said when a divorce happened for, for reasons outside of that, so though the divorce may have been sinned, they would have allowed a remarriage on other grounds. Or they would have just continued to recognize the remarriage. And yet the school of Hillel was, was very, very broad in their concept and their understanding. They, 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 as they tried to interpret this, would go back and you could look in some of their writings and these Pharisees would say that pretty much for any reason a man could seek a divorce if he wanted. If his wife burned a meal, that was the indecency that, the, that fulfilled the requirement of Deuteronomy 24. Uh, the, the phrase in Deuteronomy 24, if his wife finds no favor in his eyes, they took that quite literally to say that if now, you, if you no longer find your wife attractive and you have found someone fairer than she, then that would be grounds for divorce. If she walked around the house with her hair down, if she made disparaging remarks about in-laws, that could be grounds for divorce. The historian Josephus, in talking about how, how broadly accepted divorce had become, said that there was... There was this common understanding that anyone who desired to divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever, according to the school of Hillel, 
that, that that was grounds for divorce. And so Jesus comes in and he recognizes this trap from the, the question that's being posed to him. And he says, listen, you, you don't understand how important marriage was. From, from the very beginning, he doesn't specifically answer their question. He goes back to God's original in design in the garden and says, from the beginning, God desired to put the two together. And, and what God has joined together, this, there are three people in this covenantal relationship. It should not be separated. That's God's original good intention for marriage. And so that doesn't satisfy their question. If you look at verse 7 of Matthew 19, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now, the Pharisees are being tricky here, and Jesus recognizes it. Moses did not command a certificate of divorce. If you remember, when I read verse 1 of Deuteronomy 24, there was a conditional clause, if a man divorces his wife. Let him give a certificate of divorce. And for several more verses, there continue to be conditional clauses. It's a very specific scenario. And Jesus catches that. There was no command to divorce the wife. There was a command that she needed to be taken care of and given a certificate if that happened. In verse 8, he said to them, Matthew 19, verse 8, he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And then Jesus uses verse 9 to speak very, very similar to what we find in Matthew 5. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Jesus again draws it back to say, wait a minute, in the original intentions, of God's original design for marriage, divorce wasn't originally part of his plan. Now, certainly sin had affected things such that because of the hardness of heart, there was in essence, in essence, at best you could say God made a divine concession. There was a reluctant acceptance that because sin was present, now, now there needed to be a way to take care of what happened when marriages fell apart. And that's the concession that Moses was making in the law. And, and they had totally got sidetracked into saying, okay, now do we have grounds for divorce? In what circumstances is it necessary? Now is it okay? And, and so to call us back, even as we think about marriage in our day, and again, part of the reason we're not going far into this question of when is divorce allowable, that's not Jesus' point. In this, in this part, he's not trying to answer that question. He's trying to say God's original plan and intention was that this wouldn't happen. That's how highly he values marriage. And so we recognize that God, what, what, what I am not saying by this, I don't want you to think that Jesus' point is that churches and Christians will be filled with people who have never experienced divorce. That's not Jesus' point. And if we walk away from it with that understanding, we've completely missed Jesus' point. You see, he, he's speaking to correct a group of people who made a list of rules of what they thought it took to be righteous. And if we come up with our own list of Christians are only the people who have never been divorced, well, we've completely missed Jesus' point in this understanding. He wasn't trying to say that, that uh, there, it, it, what he was trying to help them understand is that even if a divorce happens, let me step out of that. Let me step out of that with Jesus' intention for us today, what we need to recognize and understand is the reality that, that divorce happens and marriages break down because of the result of the fall and because of the result of sin. And as Jesus said, because of the hardness of hearts, now, now there has to be concessions made of how are we going to deal with this as a people and as Christians. And so even though there may be circumstances and even if a divorce happens in a way that other passages of Scripture and where Jesus says there may be biblical grounds for divorce, even if that happens, we, we still recognize that the reality of it is still, there's still sin in the picture somewhere, somehow, 
things have broken down. And that's a reality that should cause us to mourn. We do realize that, that we want to be oh so careful when, when sin begins to get into relationships and break down. And so even though Jesus himself is making the point that, that even uh, the immorality that exists in marriage and the consequence that that can have in marriage, and he's not saying that in that instance the divorce and remarriage constitutes as another set of adultery, even in that scenario we realize divorce is something, it's, it, we don't automatically run to divorce. The, if you found out that a spouse has been unfaithful, it's not as if we, uh, our, our first conclusion is, great, now I can get out of this rotten marriage. No, even for Christians who follow Jesus, all of the rest of scriptural principles for, for the need for restoration, the need for forgiveness, the need for brothers and sisters to come along and to encourage and to see what can be done to mend and to heal a broken relationship, those still come into play and are enforced even in this scenario. What we have to be careful of as a people, as Christians, is buying into culture's concept around us of, of no-fault, easy divorce. We, we don't want to think what Jesus is not saying is that if immorality and adultery is present, therefore you can get out of the marriage easily. That's not what Jesus is saying. And, and, you, and the reason this is so difficult to talk about even as a church is because so many of you have lived so closely divorced that you know there's no such thing as an easy, marriage, as an easy divorce. My, my heart almost breaks. I don't know whether to be angry or to cry when I'm driving down the road and I see the little roadside yard sign by the stop sign that says easy divorce and 395 and a phone number or driving down the street and you see a business on the side of the road painted up in big bright paint on the windows, easy divorce, a few hundred bucks, call this number. We, we know there's no such thing. And, and Jesus' point was to speak into a culture that had gotten so twisted in their understanding of marriage. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not answering a trick question from Pharisees. He's in the context of saying, here's what Jesus' people look like. Here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And he's speaking to a culture that had gotten so flippant with divorce that they, they were trying to buy into that idea that it could be easy, that it could happen for any reason. And Jesus was saying, listen, we need to understand that the, that the marriage bond and the marriage covenant is an eternal one. It, 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 it lasts between both husband, wife, and God, and it shouldn't be broken easily. He wasn't trying to address uh, all the scenarios and questions that come up in your and my mind of when it should and shouldn't be allowed. He was trying to say, Marriage is important. He was trying to say adultery is wrong. It's so wrong that when immorality enters the heart and the mind, adultery has happened. Adultery is so wrong that when divorce flippantly happens outside of biblical bounds, then adultery happens there as well. Jesus was trying to say, listen, there's, there's a different standard of righteousness for people that are Christians for people that are Jesus' people, his followers. And, and, and we, as his followers, as Christians, we, we want to take seriously the expectation that God places upon marriage. Why? Why does God care so deeply about it? We have verses for you on the screen from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. You see, God designed marriage to be an image, to be a reflection of God's love for his people. 
that, that in marriage, that relationship between a husband and wife pictures the love that God has for his people, the love that God has for his church, the extent that God was willing to go to redeem his people, to offer forgiveness, to offer love. And so Paul writes about that in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to read these for you. And, and here is what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's just finishing a couple verses about how wives are supposed to be in attitude towards husbands. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as he loves himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you catch what, what Paul is saying? That this picture of marriage, the love that exists between a husband and a wife, it is a profound mystery that images the love that God has for his people. So you might be here this morning hurting because you're in a marriage currently that is not all that it should be. And you recognize it and know it and you feel the pain of it and you're asking yourself the question, is it worth it? Should I stay now, there's a lot of questions that have to be addressed there. But what I want to encourage you in is that you, your, your marriage pictures God's love for his people, for his church. There is the hope of forgiveness, of restoration, of healing, of joy. Now, those things need to be addressed, and you might need the help of brothers and sisters in Christ to help restore your marriage to health. But be encouraged in that. Fight for Fight for it. Marriage is worth fighting for, even the difficult parts of it. There are no two people, uh, teens. Let me speak to you for a second, because half of the church here has already picked who they're going to pick. Don't think if you find the right person, marriage is going to be easy. It's not true. You're a sinner. You're going to find a sinner, and it's going to take all kinds of hard work, all kinds of hard work. And we as a people need to be committed to that work, because it images the extent to which God was willing to go to us and show love and forgiveness. Now, you, you might be here this morning living through the regrets or the pain of a marriage that has fallen apart. You might have been affected by it directly because you were a part of it or indirectly because the marriage was close to you. Know, know this. Know this. God loves... The, 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 the Ephesians 5 is the love that God has for you. He loves you. He pursues you. And though you may have witnessed closer than you wish a, a marriage that has fallen apart, as, if you are God's child, his love for you will never fail. It will never break down. Whatever pain and hardship you lived through in that marriage that emotionally comes to mind, know that God's love for you is perfect. It's never ending. It will never fail. As the perfect groom, he pursues you as his bride, and he loves you, and he nourishes you, and he cherishes you. And oh, may the church be the place who even when people have scars and regrets and past that they wish, stories that they wish didn't accompany them, our high view of marriage as a church is not because we want you to feel guilty, and it's not because we think that you have something to be ashamed of. It's because it images, a high view of marriages images the love that God has for us, and we want to lift it high because we love it. It's the only hope that we have as a people.
And we need it. And you do too. And may we walk in that grace. We're, we're going to be reminded of it this morning as we gather around the, the elements of this table and we say God's body was broken for sinners. His blood was shed for sinners. Oh, what beautiful joy. We don't want to tread on that lightly. And that's why we per- come to this table regularly to say, oh, wow, we need God's love as his people, as his followers. We need to be reminded of the gospel. It provides hope for all of us, regardless of what our backstories are.